You know, one of the rights that's perhaps the most universal in a free society, and it's also enshrined in the Ten Commandments, is this right of individuals to own possessions, to own property. You know, both the Eighth and the Tenth Commandments speak about this. Uh, the Eighth Commandment, of course, is what? Thou shalt not steal. And the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. To steal, of course, is to take something that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to something else, someone else. And to covet is to, is to desire something so much that you might be willing to take it. And, and the commandment against covetousness is even more specific. What shouldn't you covet? Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's spouse, your neighbor's servant, animals, things. All of these things, according to God's law, if they belong to, the, to your neighbor, not only should you not take them, but not even desire them so much that you should take them. Amen. But you know, really, I don't think God even had to tell us this. Because have you ever had anything stolen from you? Yeah. You ever know the feeling that you get when something gets stolen? Yeah. It's like, ugh. Yeah, and not only is it, I mean, you lose something. Maybe you lose a, a little bit of money or a piece of property or, or, or something. But it's like you lose your sense of peace. You, you, you have this feeling that nothing around you is safe anymore because someone came in and violated your space and took something that was yours without you knowing it. Or worse yet, if you were robbed, they, they took it at, at gunpoint and you, you did know that they were taking it. There's nothing you could do about it. You know, thankfully, I've never been robbed at gunpoint, but I do remember when I had my wallet stolen. And uh, it kind of goes along with Steve's story. Um, I was at... Um, Andrews University for a couple weeks for student missionary training. This was a number of years ago. And uh, I was staying there at the campus. And after the classes, a long day of classes, a lot of times I would go with several of, our, of my friends, the other student missionaries. Um, and we'd go over to the beach on Lake Michigan in St. Joe. And uh, just a really pleasant. It was, it was uh, early summer. And still a little bit chilly. So I'd put on my swim trunks and put my long pants over the, the swim trunks. And we'd go out and play bo- volleyball. And I um, normally I would leave my wallet in the car, but this particular day I had my wallet in my pants pocket. And then I got ready, we were going to go swimming, so I took off my outer garments and went down to the, to the water. And we had a nice dip, and I thought, you know, there's other people staying around where, where the volleyball net was, and they'll kind of keep an eye on things. Well, after we got done, I came back, and my wallet was gone. My clothes were there, but my wallet was gone. And I thought, well, where did I put it? And I looked all around the beach, I rifled through my car, and I could not find it. So I'm like, oh no. Someone has come along and stolen my wallet right out of my pocket while I wasn't looking. And uh, well, I had nothing to do. I, went, uh, I could do about it. It was already getting dark. So uh, I went back to the, to the university campus. And the next morning, I spent all my spare time calling my bank, calling my credit card company, putting a hold on all my cards. And uh, one thing I didn't think to do, I didn't think to call my parents. I mean, what could they do after all, hundreds of miles away, uh, about a stolen wallet? I was worrying about how I was going to drive back home without a driver's license, right? Um, Later that day, I got an urgent message from one of my teachers. Your father is on the phone, and he needs to speak with you. And unbeknownst to me, the thief who had stolen my wallet had taken the cash from the wallet and thrown the rest of it into the lake. Later that day, a swimmer who was swimming there found my wallet floating in the lake, fished it out, found my business cards in it, and called my home number. And my dad gets this phone call from a total stranger. Um, We found this wallet floating in Lake Michigan. 
And he logically assumed that I had drowned. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, he was quite relieved to find out that, that my wallet, yeah, I was not drowned. And the, 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 the biggest loss was maybe $50 of cash or so. It's kind of unnerving, though, to have something stolen, you know? It's bad to get stolen from. It's even worse to get robbed, to get held up at gunpoint. I was reading an article this week about some of the biggest heists in history. Some of them elaborate. Tens of millions of dollars stolen in sort of these insider deals, high-tech break-ins. Not a few of them ended in murder. Today I'm going to be talking about a holdup. In fact, it's the biggest holdup of all time. And I've titled my message today simply, The Holdup of Heaven. I want to talk to you about the day man robbed God. Now, how is that possible? Turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. We'll be spending a little time in this passage, but we'll be jumping to a lot of other passages here as well. But uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, what is robbery? Robbery is, to, is like stealing, but it's worse. It's to take something that belongs to someone else, but to do it brazenly, right in front of them, in their presence. And there's nothing they can do about it. But my next question is, what are the tithes and offerings? And how is it that they belong to God? Amen. Now, I have to make a little disclaimer here. Um, I'm going to be talking about something that we call stewardship today. We're going to be doing a little bit of Bible study together and see some lessons that we can learn from it. Maybe we can look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. But <clears throat> I know that some of you are going right now, oh boy, this is the annual fund drive. You know, I, listen, I like to listen to the radio and about every year they come on and, and they'll be like, you know, in the next 30 minutes we need to raise $10,000 and if you call on the phone right now and, and you know what I do when, when they start doing that? I turn off the radio. I turn it to another station. So before... Before you guys sit back on your shoulder blades or make a break for the back door, I, I, I want to make a disclaimer. I'm not here to raise money. I'm not even here so much to talk about money. And I want us to talk about God's requirements and the way that we can have a blessing that God is just waiting to give to us. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. I ask the question, what are tithes and offerings? Well, you know, and let me say this too. I'm going to go through a lot of verses here. If you don't want to look them all up right now, I'm not going to give you a lot of time to look them up. But if you want to start taking some notes, um, write down some little references. And uh, by the end of this, you'll have a nice list of references that you can go back this afternoon and look at. So if you've got a sheet of paper with you, um, start taking down some of these references. We'll go through them fairly quickly. But the first time that we find the tithe mentioned in the Bible is actually in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20. Now this is the story of Abraham. Abraham had just rescued his nephew Lot and all of the inhabitants of Sodom. And he comes back and he's very magnanimously uh, saying, I don't want to keep any of this. But before he gives all of the possessions back to the king of Sodom, he does what? 
he returns a tithe to Melchizedek, who is the priest. And it says there in Genesis 14, verse 20, and he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now, we have to kind of get out a dictionary to understand this word a little bit. But this word tithe that we find in our King James Bible, other translations uh, say it differently, but this word tithe literally means a tenth. One part in ten, or ten percent. So, now you kids or, or youth, those of you who are sitting up here, I want you to listen. Just do a little bit of math for me here. If Abram had rescued 200 goats from Sodom, how many goats did he give to Melchizedek? If he got 200 goats, how many? 20. Okay, that's 10%. If he got uh, 30 bars of gold, how many did he give to Melchizedek? Three. That's 10%. One, in, one part in 10. But you know, Abram wasn't the only person that did this. This was a common custom among the patriarchs, and we find this with the patriarch Jacob in Genesis 28 and verse 22. Jacob, remember, is running from his brother, he's running for his life, and he has this dream. He sees the angels of God going up and down on this ladder. In Genesis 28, 22, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And notice the pledge that he makes. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Amen. Now, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, remember they had been for years and generations in slavery in Egypt, and they had forgotten almost everything that God required of them. So God reestablished his, his commandments. And this is really the first time in the Bible that we, that we see a systematic uh, set of instructions that God gives to his people in Exodus and Leviticus. But God commanded them to bring a tithe or a tenth. Why? Because it's holy to the Lord. Look at Leviticus 27 and verse 30. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Amen. It's not that you should give it to the Lord or you ought to give it to the Lord. It is the Lord's. It already belongs to him. You know, it's kind of the same phrase that we find in that fourth commandment that Steve just read a few moments ago. The seventh day is what? The Sabbath of? Of the Lord. You know, it's interesting. The Sabbath belongs to God. The tithe belongs to God in the same way. One-seventh of our time and one-tenth of our means. But how do you give a tithe to God? After all, he lives up in heaven. He has everything he needs, doesn't he? How can you give him anything? He created everything. But in ancient Israel, the tithe was used for a specific purpose. We find that in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 21. God is saying, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So it was the tribe of Levi, and specifically those who were working with the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? The The house of God, the church. It was the church that God had set up. And the people, the Levites, who were working there in the ministry of God, instead of having farmland where they could go and farm and grow things like everybody else, they received the produce, the tithe of the produce, from the others who were growing. That way they could dedicate their lives to the service of the tabernacle. 
So by returning the tithe to those who supported God's work, the children of Israel were truly giving back to God. But you know, even the Levites weren't exempt from paying tithe. Even though they received the tithe, they also gave a tithe. We find that in Numbers 18, verses 26 and 28. It says the Levites were to return a tenth of the tithe as a special offering to God, and that would be given to Aaron. Now, Aaron was the high priest. So you had the Levites, which was a larger group of people, and then within those Levites, you had a small group of people who were the priests that ministered in the, in the sanctuary, and they were also supported by the tithe as well. You know, it's so interesting how specific and how organized this system was that God set up in ancient Israel. God didn't just say, okay, just um, take a tenth of your, of your income and give it to the nearest Levite that lives, uh, lives near you. Or, or just give it to whoever you want to give it to. No, God ordained a special place. And in fact, we find that in Deuteronomy 12, verses 5 and 6. Which you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your land, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. So there was a special place, and of course we find this in Deuteronomy, but later on we know that that was Jerusalem, the place where God set up his temple and set up his name. And, if the, and we find in Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27, that if the people lived a long ways from Jerusalem, that they could sell their tithe, bring the money, and then when they got to Jerusalem, they could then buy the things that they needed to give as the tithes and the offerings. So that's just kind of a basic overview of the ancient history of the tithe. What it was for, but what about the offerings? Remember in, in Malachi we read, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now there's a difference between tithes and offerings. And to illustrate that, I want us to look at Exodus chapter 25. You know, the first several verses there, I won't read the whole thing. But this is the story of the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Exodus 25 and verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. So just to review, how much is tithe? A tithe is a tenth or a ten percent. But an offering is how much? It's what you give willingly, what the Lord lays on your heart to give. It may be less, it may be more, but it's given willingly with a willing heart. And what did they use it for in verse 8? Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So there's several principles that we find here. One, like I said, it's a free will offering. It's not required a certain amount or a certain percentage, but it's whatever the Lord lays upon the heart. Second, this was not tithe. This was different from tithe. And it was third, it was used for a different purpose. Now, remember, the tithe was used to support the Levites and to support the priests. Notice here the offering in this case was used for what? To build the sanctuary. This was when they were building the, the tabernacle. And we find other offerings that were given later on when, when Solomon was building the temple. David, actually, before he died, he collected all of these materials and the people gave generous offerings to build this, ten, this temple that became Solomon's temple. There were other offerings as well. Uh, some offerings were used to support the poor. We find that in Deuteronomy 14 and Deuteronomy 26. 
In fact, it mentions a second tithe. And some people will say, well, isn't this the tithe? Because it, it uses the word tithe. It's actually a second tithe that was used for a different purpose. It was used to support the Levites, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, the poor people who lived in their own community. And every third year, they would gather the second tithe. And then they would use that for the work uh, locally for supporting the poor. You know, if you study very carefully in the uh, ancient uh, time of Israel, if you look at the tithe, you look at the offerings, you look at the sacrifices that the people would bring to offer, and you add all that up, it would probably add up to about a quarter of their income. Now, that's quite a lot of money, if you think about it, or quite a lot of of, uh, resources, their flocks and their herds, the produce of their gardens, 25%. That's, That's average. I'm not saying it's exact. Why didn't they just end up being reduced to poverty if they were taxed that much, so to speak? Because God blessed them. Amen. And God had, and we'll look at that in a, in a minute. But God had promised such a special blessing for those who returned the tithes and the offerings. Amen. That, that during the times when the Israelites were returning faithfully their tithes and offerings, they prospered tremendously. And it was during the times when they forgot to return their tithes and offerings that they started going downhill. You know, it's such a beautiful system, isn't it? If you think about it, today we have government programs that are large and cumbersome, and they try to help people who are in poverty, people who are poor, and and, and people still fall through the cracks. But God established this system in the beginning, in ancient Israel, to take care of the needs of his church and to take care of the needs of the poor. Very simple, but very effective. And sadly, like I said, the children of Israel didn't always follow this plan. We find uh, that for a long time they forgot to return the tithes and offerings. And uh, it was restored under good King Hezekiah in Second Chronicles 31. And we find there, put that down in your notes, I won't read it, a lot of principles for the tithe. We find it again under Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. In fact, Nehemiah uh, came into the temple and there was these huge storerooms that were set up to hold the tithes and the offerings. And you know what he found when he opened the door of one of those storerooms? He found Israel's worst enemy had set up one of those storerooms as an apartment and was living in it. Israel's worst enemy. He gave him an eviction notice, let's just put it that way. He threw him out and his furniture, threw it all outside, and he sent out a notice, bring in the tithes and offerings. And God blessed Israel because of it. And at the end of the Old Testament, we come right back to this passage we started with in Malachi. And God is indicting all of Israel with robbery. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now I can see being indicted with law-breaking, being indicted with unfaithfulness, but robbery? How is it robbery? to hold back the tithe. You know, I read a story recently about an elderly woman in Ontario, Canada. She stole a man's car for two weeks by accident. Now, she had gone to a rental car rental place and she rented a small black sedan. And the first thing she did is she drove over to Walmart, parked it, and you know how Walmart's got a huge parking lot. She parks it at Walmart and uh, she takes her little keyless uh, key fob with her and uh, 
because you know cars now you don't have to turn the lock you just grab the handle and get in and it starts up as long as you have the key with you so she goes to Walmart she gets her groceries she comes out finds a black car in the parking lot loads her groceries in it hops in and drives off two weeks later she takes her car back to the rental place and uh, starts chewing out the manager for renting her a dirty car because there was cigarette stuff in the ashtray and there's golf clubs in the back she's like and it wasn't until she returned it that uh, she and the rental place and the police were able to piece everything together. She had parked her car at Walmart, her rental car. When she came out, she got into another man's car, and he had accidentally left the key fob in his car, and she'd been driving his car for two weeks. (laughs) Um, You know, we get a lot of trouble when we take something that's not ours. Thankfully, the story ends well, but no one pressed charges and everyone had a good laugh out of it at the end of the day. (laughs) But you know, God gives us, God allows us to receive 100% of what we earn, but he claims 10% as his. And when we take that 100% and don't give him the 10%, it's as if we've stolen a car. Sure, he gave us the keys to it, but it's still his. And it's not theft, because theft happens when, you, when someone's not looking, but God is looking everywhere. So the only way you can take something from God is for it to be robbery. God truly owns everything. He says in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Do you think God needs anything from us? Do you think God is going to get poor? Do you think God's going to go broke if we don't return our tithes and offerings? I don't think so. He owns everything. He made the world. I don't think he's about to go broke. So maybe there's another reason why he wants us to give 10% to him. In Revelation 4 and verse 11, the 24 elders around the throne of God sing, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. God doesn't need anything from us. He created everything. But because he created everything, he owns everything including you and me. But what about us? Is this system of tithe still relevant for us today as Christians? In a word, yes. You know, Jesus upheld the law of tithing in his discussion with the Pharisees. You find that in Matthew 23 and verse 23. Matthew 23 and verse 23, and it sounds kind of a uh, almost negative, but you have to read it carefully. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now, it sounds like for a minute he, he's saying, You're hypocrites because you pay tithe. Were they hypocrites because they paid tithe? No. No. He says, These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. 
You see, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they would grow their little herbs in their little garden, they would count out the leaves of their herbs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Here's ten. That's the tithe, right? And then they would, they would count out their, their leaves and their herbs legalistically, meticulously, to make sure that they paid tithe of every little tiny bit that they had and neglected the big overarching themes of the law, justice and mercy and truth. But Jesus doesn't condemn them for paying tithe on their herbs. He says, these ought ye to have done without leaving the others undone. You know, in his parables, Jesus emphasized over and over this one fact. That is that the things that we have are not the things that we own. We are given them as stewards. Now, this word steward is kind of an old-fashioned word, but it means literally someone who takes care of things for someone else. We might use the word a manager uh, to use modern-day language. He tells the story of a, a wealthy man who went on a long journey. And he had this, these talents, we call them in, in, the, in the Bible, these uh, large blocks of silver or gold. And he gave them to his servants, five to one, two to one, two, uh, one, one to another. And he expected those servants to invest them, to use them wisely. And in the end, those servants were judged on their faithfulness. Because the money that they had was not their own. The money that they had belonged to their master. In another parable, in Matthew 21, verses 33 to 46, there's the parable of a, of a man, a vineyard owner, who planted a vineyard and let it out to his vine dressers. Now these wicked men treated that vineyard as if it was their own. They grew the grapes. They harvested the grapes. But when the owner sent his servants to come and collect the grapes, they rejected them. And again, he sent more servants, and they were rejected. Then finally, he sent his son, and they killed his son. They treated that vineyard as if it was their own, and they despised the one who owned it. And as the parable ends, the priests and the Pharisees pronounced their own sentence of doom. What about us? Have we been given a trust of things that we possess but we do not own? Could we be a little bit like those wicked vine dressers? If we live our lives as, as, as if everything we have belongs to us and we fail to acknowledge that it belongs to him. Jesus says in Matthew 10 and verse 8, Freely you have received. Freely. Give. Amen. My friends, I believe that the system of tithes and offerings is still as relevant today as it was in ancient Israel. Do we still have people today who spend their lives ministering to congregations of people? Yes. Do we still have houses of worship that must be built and maintained? Yes. And today, like never before, are we not entrusted with a message? the gospel of a crucified and risen and soon coming Lord. Amen. A message that the world needs to hear right. before it's too late. My friends, Jesus says in Matthew 10 and verse 10, a worker is worthy of his food. Now it's good if every one of us, paid or not, goes to our neighbors and our friends and shares the message. That's what we're commissioned to do. That's what we must do. 
But how can this message go to the world if every preacher and every evangelist had to pay his own way? You know, Paul writes a lengthy message to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock. And going on down to verse 11, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partaker of this right over you, are not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I have a right to take some of the things that you possess because I've been spending my life ministering to you, but I'm not doing it because I don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. I don't want anyone to have a reason to speak bad about me or about the gospel of Christ. But he goes on in verse 13. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. My friends, I don't think we could find any stronger words, and I almost hesitate to read them in church. But my friends, this was the principle that the early Christian church lived on. And this is the principle of our church still today. Now, Paul didn't always exercise his right, but Paul is demonstrating that biblically, he and the ministers of the gospel have a right to live of the things of the gospel. You know, in the early church, this gathering of offerings and tithes wasn't haphazard. Not, it was organized. We find in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Paul says, you know, they were taking up this special collection for the, the uh, poor in Jerusalem. There was a famine in Jerusalem. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. He says, do this in an orderly fashion. My friends, today in this church right here, we follow this same system of tithes and offerings. And just as in Bible times, what does the tithe go to support? It goes to support the gospel ministry, to support the ministers, to support the pastors and those who pastor the pastors, to support those who do evangelistic work to take this gospel to every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. You know, in ancient times, like I said, where was the tithe given? Did everyone just give their tithe to the nearest Levite that they lived next door to? No. It was brought to a central storehouse. It says in Malachi, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And in the same way, in our local church here, when you return a tithe, it doesn't go to my paycheck. It doesn't go to the local church. It goes to what we call the storehouse or the conference. It's a group of churches, and in this case, it's all the churches in Kentucky and, and all of the western half of, of Tennessee are together in what we know as the Kentucky and Tennessee Conference. And then all the pastors are paid equitably and fairly from the conference. So that's a really good thing if you think about it. If I, if I preach a really bad sermon, I'm not going to get paid any less. If I, if, I, if I step on everybody's toes, I'm not going to get paid any less, even if you all don't like me. 
If I preach a really flattering sermon, I'm not going to get any tips. It's all the same. You know, it's really a good thing. It's not like, um, you know, you go to a restaurant, and if you get good service, you tip the waiter, you know, and if you get poor service, you give them a penny, you put a penny on the table, let them know you didn't like their service. Yeah. It's not how it works in here. Because the storehouse principle, everyone gets paid equitably and fairly. Small churches, large churches, rich churches, poor churches, it doesn't matter. The offerings, by contrast, are different. And I want you to look, and I'm sure that you have in front of you, in the pew somewhere, a little tithe envelope. I want you to look at this. Open it up. Um, kind of funny, ours got somehow printed upside down. But <laughs> it's a different story. Um, but you look on this tithe envelope. There's four sections in here under tithe and love offerings. The first one is tithe, and it says there 10%. So when you return your tithe, don't just put, it, don't just put cash in the offering plate. Put it in the tithe envelope and mark. This is the tithe. This is the 10%, okay? And then there's the offerings, and there's three, yeah, three different main categories for those offerings. One of those is the local church. Those go to ministries that happen right here in London. Um, some of that goes to evangelism. Some of that goes to keep the lights on in here. There are different things that our local church does. Then there's one where it says Kentucky, Tennessee Advance or Conference. There's different ministries that happen around the conference, and you can contribute to Indian Creek Camp or evangelism or the academies. And then there's the world budget, which is missions that go clear around the world. The same, also there's the Sabbath school offering, and that Sabbath school offering is also for missions that take, send missionaries to the furthest parts of the world. Why am I talking about this? Why should I return tithes and offerings? Is this the annual fund drive? No. I'm not talking about this because our church needs more money or because I don't think that you're being faithful enough. That's not what it is at all. It's not about money. But you know, I have to admit, I struggle too. I see it in the Bible. All these texts that I've just shared with you, I've known these texts. But I struggle too because when I... Look at that tithe check. It's like, wow, that's a lot of money. That could go towards my house payment. That could go towards a car payment. But I have to not think about that because it's not mine to begin with. I wouldn't go to a bank and lay the revolver on the, on the say, give me your money. I wouldn't do that. Why would I do that to God? That's right. But even more than that, and I've saved this part for last, there's a blessing attached Amen. to the returning of the tithe and the offering. <clears throat> and I've read that verse in Malachi twice, and I've stopped at verse 9. But I want to read verse 10. Malachi 3 and verse 10. After God, God gets done saying, you've robbed me, you're cursed with a curse, he gives this, this promise. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Amen. That's true. God says in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Amen. 
and in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters yet increases. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will be watered also himself. Now, in reading these promises, I, I guess I have to add another disclaimer. There are many preachers today who preach what I would call a prosperity gospel. And they kind of take these promises and they pull them out of context and they say, if you just drop your coins in the offering plate, God, it'll be like a seed and God will multiply this money and you will abound in wealth in this world. And good things in this world will happen to you if you put your money. That's not what it's saying. You see, everything in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the foundation principle is faith. Amen. And when I return that tithe... And those offerings to God. It doesn't mean I'm going to get a check for more than that in the mail the next day. It doesn't mean God is going to open up the windows of heaven and rain down money on my life. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a blessing. We don't know what that blessing may be. It could be the blessing of trials. It could be a spiritual blessing. And I can tell you, my friends, that as I have been faithful, I have seen God bless time and time Amen. and time again. Amen. Just the peace of knowing that I've done what God wants me to do Amen. is enough. And the joy of seeing those offerings go to a cause and people being blessed and coming to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of a little pittance that I may have put in the offering plate is more than enough blessing. And yes, even I have seen the financial blessings because God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. Amen. My friends, I'm not preaching this message because I think you need to give more. In fact, if I look at the giving of this church, if I look at the amount of tithe that's returned in this church, we're one of the most faithful of any of the churches in this area. And I praise God for that. And God is blessing you because of that. I'm not afraid this church is going to go broke because this church is God's church and he's not going to go broke anytime soon. He takes care of his church, but I'm sharing this with you for one reason and that's because I want you to have a blessing. Amen. I want you to have part of that blessing that God is just waiting to pour out upon you. He says, try me now in this if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. Amen. And I'll close with these words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupts, or, nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Amen. And that's the question I want to leave you with today, my friends. 
Where is your heart? Where are your thoughts? What is the biggest value in your life today? Amen. No, I'm not going to take up another offering today. We've already done that. But I want us to think about where is your heart? Our kind and loving Father in heaven, Lord, you have blessed us bountifully, magnificently. But Lord, help us to be faithful stewards. Help us to know what you require of us. Amen. And help us to be faithful each and every day. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.